Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions, from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science. We'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. Today, I'd like to try something a little bit different, Lee, and that is that one of the topics I haven't really covered, but it's been related for sure to ketogenic diet and the reason people want to get healthy and so on and so forth, is, and we're all about measuring our blood sugar and measuring our ketones, and if you put the two together, you get the glucose ketone index, which as you remember when I was talking with Dr. Siegfried, that that's what they use, are starting to use now in these last year or two for cancer patients to see where they are. So a different topic, but I'm just saying we talk about measuring blood glucose levels through a glucometer, blood ketone levels through a ketometer, and then so on and so forth. I would like to talk about not just You know, the questions that come up are this, that people go, oh, is keto good for cancer? Do they have cancer? Do they know somebody who has cancer? Are they thinking, well, I want to avoid cancer? So I'm getting a little more specific because I want to show you that blood sugar levels, your glucose levels, if they're high, if they're chronically high, that is a risk factor, an independent risk factor for getting cancer. And it has nothing to do with being overweight. So I'm hoping that's going to be a little surprise, and I'm going to go through some studies and give you kind of like what they're studying and then the conclusion, and so you get the point. So this is a point that really hasn't been covered before, because we talk about, well, cancer thrives on glucose, right? We've covered that because of the whole uh, glycolysis that takes place, and they upregulate, and they can really use glucose, whereas, and that's the whole idea of why a patient who's a cancer patient now, a person who has cancer, that if they go onto a ketogenic diet adjunctively, not solely, and really stick to it. For instance, Tom Siegfried said, you know, a three-day fast, which is a water fast, and then after that, it's calorie-restricted, so it's hypocaloric, so that they are permanently in ketosis for a period of time. And the point there was to remove as much as possible and it's not possible to go to 100%, remove as much as possible the glucose in our blood supply, in our body, so the cancer has nothing to feed on. And at the same time, as we're increasing ketones, of course, the ketones are directly destructive of cancer. 
some cancers certainly more than others. We, The uh, poster child for successful cancers and ketogenic diet is what they call uh, geoblastoma, GBM, geoblastoma multiforme. So I kind of garbled my words there. So that does pretty well, you know, and there's been a, some 100%, but there's not lots of numbers to say that the ketogenic diet is just wonderful. It makes a lot of logical sense. Okay. So that's that area of research and application of the ketogenic diet. That's not where I'm going right now. Now I'm going with just ordinary people that have no idea what their fasting glucose is, except when they come into their, maybe their annual review, annual exam with their doctor, should they have that, then they'll get one of the things that's required for everybody is the fasting glucose and they'll get a number. Okay, then. So a lot of people are not aware of that. You know, what is a good number? What is a bad number? How often should I take it? Is there a pattern here? How will I see a pattern? So to all those questions that we're going to get into some of these numbers, but generally what I do is that, you know, I like to see what I consider kind of a very comfortable, call it aka kind of a perfect number is in the 70s. However, it's quite accepted as a doctor to a patient, you come in, and if yours was in the 90s, I'd say, well, you're still within the normal range, quote unquote. Well, the average has drifted up over the last few decades. And so, as we know, as a culture, we've had an epidemic of obesity, which does correlate with elevated blood sugar. So, I would not say, hey, I'm still in a normal range and I have a number of, you know, I'm in the 90s, I'm good. Just know that the range is, uh, you can do better and shoot to do better. So what is a high range? A high range, for instance, in diabetes, if you have three random checks of somebody's blood sugar, which is not fasting, um, of 126, over 126, they can qualify for, they will be diagnosed as type 2 diabetics, diabetes mellitus. And, you know, if they go into fasting blood sugars, that's a whole different thing. So a fasting blood sugar, if you're a fasting blood sugar over um, into the hundreds, 110, 110, 120, that's dangerous. And of course, it can be much higher. People come in with random blood sugars, with four and 500 and even 600. That's huge. So we're talking fasting and we're giving you a little familiarity with that. So you know, this isn't going to be all about numbers today, but it is about the association of non-overweight people that have intermittent, we'll say, elevated fasting glucose levels, fasting blood sugar levels. And the interesting thing is that since about 2005, 2003, 2004, as we'll find out today, that a number of studies were done in other cultures. So not just the American culture of what we eat, but other cultures to check fasting glucose levels in their patient population. And then we track them. So it's a prospective study. They go forward in time and they simply track and and they measure death by cancer. That would be a considered a positive outcome in the sense of positive for the study, not a personally positive outcome. So let's get started with some of the studies we're going to go over because I'm going to try to drill home the point of not only is this a now in 2020, election day actually, in 2020, that 
we have this concept of blood sugar as something we need to control, it absolutely is something you need to control. This is not esoteric in any way now. I'm giving you a foundational sort of understanding of you really have to be in tune with your blood sugar. In the very least, go get a glucometer, pretend you're a diabetic, and start knowing what your blood sugars are. And then if you really want to, you can go down and get your blood draw for fasting blood sugars to find out what they are. And the more you get into that, that's a very, then I would start adding insulin, of course, to that. But this is very cheap. If you did glucose and insulin, I think you're done in $15 plus whatever the blood draw fee is. So it's a very cheap thing that you can do by yourself. You don't need a doctor's permission slip to go do this. We call blood requisition slip to go do this. You can do this on your own. So this is the area that we're talking about now. Non-overweight people that do have elevated blood sugar, what's their issue? What's their risk? And so to put it in a word, the risk of sustained elevated blood sugar and cancer. Cancer risk, why blood sugar matters. And we're going to cover a number of different things. Okay. So first study is in 2005, it was a Korean study. So we're saying it was non-just American, non-just USA. So a Korean study that they did a prospective study going forward in time and measuring uh, people's blood sugar. Let me read you some of the more arcane stuff. This is a combination of research of uh, Johns Hopkins and South Korea. And they're interested in exploring the relationship between blood sugar levels and the risk for developing cancer. Their conclusion was elevated fasting glucose levels and diabetes are risk factor for several cancers. And the higher the fast fasting, the higher the fasting glucose level, the higher the risk. So it's not often in medicine you get this sort of one-to-one relationship, one-to-one association. But they're saying fasting, the higher you are with this particular number, you know, now you're going well beyond 90, 100, dot, 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 is going to be the higher the association of whatever cancer. And we're going to talk about certain cancers too. And we can start in a logical way. But so diabetics don't have to be overweight. So diabetics are in there too. So you know, this is a reframe. We need to control blood sugar, which is in essence the definition of diabetes, clearly. Uh, it's important. I sort of see the more and more I work on this, the less and less I see diabetes as really being a distinct group of people, even though they are, obviously, and they have a, you know, they have their diagnosis numbers and the medications and so on and so forth. The reason I say that is when you start on the backdrop of let's say the American population, which I live in the States, is that if you took everybody's fasting glucose levels and tell them all to do it, you know, wake up and get this done and and report in, you will find that the scale of people who have prediabetes, diabetes, even pretty severe or pretty high glucose levels is very, very common. So it almost makes the diagnosis of diabetes fade. Those are people who got it formalized, saw their doctor, got a diagnosis, and here's hoping they're they're treating it well. But there's many others that are unaware of their blood sugar levels, fasting blood sugar levels, and have all these problems. So when you put the numbers there, I think uh, it as high as diabetes is in the United States, it's still underrepresented. And certainly if you get into prediabetes and so on and so forth. Okay. So 
The study had a sample of over a million Koreans, ages of 30 to 95, who had a positive cancer diagnosis or who had died of cancer. Their findings are published in JAMA, Journal of American Association. After controlling for smoking and alcohol use, they found that those who had the highest fasting blood sugar levels, specifically over 100 fasting blood sugar levels, over 140 milligrams of deciliter, had the highest mortality rates from all cancers studied as compared to those with the lowest fasting blood sugar levels. And the lowest were 90 or less. The relationship was strongest for pancreatic cancer in both men and women, though this this was also significant associations for other cancers as well. The researchers observed similar patterns when looking at participants with a positive cancer diagnosis. Men with the highest fasting blood sugar levels, over 140, had the highest rates of positive cancer diagnosis, and those had the lowest. Both men and women had significantly higher risk for developing pancreatic. Then after that was liver, and after that was kidney. So you can sort of say, well, pancreatic. So I hope in your mind, this is a room full of thin people, relatively thin people, or normal-looking people that are, some are diabetic and some are not. And so this is not anybody you can eyeball and say, I think that person has a problem. You know, no, it's not that. So pancreatic, obviously, because that's where insulin is made. So if you have a sustained elevated glucose levels and you have been forcing your pancreas to squirt out, to manufacture and squirt out, secrete insulin over months, years, decades, it starts to get exhausted and it poops out and then it can't keep up. And then it can't give you the insulin you required. And so now your blood sugar gets to be even higher, out of control. That's where people have to go in for exogenous, those insulin shots, should they be diagnosed and be aware of that whole situation. So the pancreas gets really walloped. You know, it is the center of controlling all this for the most part, as we understand it today. The pancreas also does digestive enzymes and has a lot of other functions, but you've exhausted it by having sustained elevated glucose and it just can't keep up and it started to wear out. And after it starts wearing out, some of those functions of the pancreas go to the liver and the liver starts wearing out. So that's why you have pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, and then kidney cancer. And the kidney cancer is because you're now filtering so much sugar, so much glucose is going through the nephrons of your kidneys. They're now becoming brittle, glycosylated. In fact, as people get on and on to advanced, the diagnosis of advanced diabetes, they're called brittle diabetics. And so if you think of brittle, think of a candy cane you know, that the sugar, the blood sugar, basically just starts attaching itself to everything. Certainly, it attaches itself to red blood cells, and that's what we call hemoglobin 1AC, but it starts attaching to muscles, it starts attaching to your kidney nephrons. And I remember back in practicing, we had a number of diabetics that would come in that, you know, they had all that quote-unquote taken care of, and they were following their physician for all that but they came in for things like acupuncture and so on just to relieve the pain of glycosylated muscles. You know, their jaws would kind of freeze up. They'd get TMJ, which is a jaw pain. But primarily, it was basically a side effect or a, a consequence of their diabetes. Okay, let's go on to, I find that really interesting, the fact that it was it was sort of broke the ice on saying, you know, This is a big deal that we can look at. We're not just looking at 
heavy people or obese people. This is a problem for a lot of people. Let's all be aware of fasting glucose. Pretty straightforward. So here's interesting. So one of the, the conclusions written the way researchers write, which is not the cleanest, it goes, we have shown that fasting glucose levels and diabetes are associated with cancer risk in a population for leaner than the Western populations in other studies. These associations do not reflect association with obesity, suggesting that the mechanism of increased cancer risk may be due to the consequences of hyperinsulinemia. You know, it would be nice if um, concurrent with every test they took, they also took a tandem together with glucose and insulin. We'd really have even more data. So they're sort of postulating. They're probably right. It's not so much the glucose, but it's the elevated insulin that you forced yourself into having. Okay. You know, this information is meant to be empowering for you personally right now, where you are. This is something you can use. And so you find out what your glucose is. You can do this yourself. You can do it cheaply. But if you know where you stand on this scale that I've laid out for you in the U.S. and wherever you are listening to this, go find out. You know, you can independently. You don't have to be overweight to have this issue. And so why not assess your risk with your fasting blood sugar range? Just get to know it. Have this be part of you doing something healthy for yourself. Because if it, if it is elevated and you've now tracked it and you have a nice handle on it, now you know what to do. I mean, this is a whole drop the carbs, you know, begin wherever you want to begin. As a thousand of these podcasts have talked about, begin working your way towards the ketogenic diet or a version of that, you know, something that gets you into nutritional ketosis, which is a, you know, 0.5 to above uh, ketones on a regular basis. It's nothing too extreme. It's, it's kind of, but it's a big deal for people who were solely having high blood sugars and having all the problems from that. So let's look at something else here for a second. So here's another study that they did relative to breast cancer. Fasting glucose is a, is a risk factor for breast cancer. And that's actually the title of the study. I'll put these links below. The abstract is, you know, at this point, this is now back 2002. Actually, it was a year before the study I just told you about. There is some evidence at this time. They're thinking that glucose and other factors related to glucose metabolism such as insulin and insulin-like growth factor, may contribute to breast cancer. Okay. So what do they, where do they come up with? I'm not going to break down who they did and what they did. Their conclusion was the results indicate that chronic alteration of glucose metabolism, they could have just said elevated metabolism, um, elevated glucose, is related to breast cancer development, period. And there's pages of interesting things that you can read on that that I'm not going to. I just want you to really get this point down. Let me choose another context. Another study, now we're at 2007. This is a prospective study of hyperglycemia, elevated glucose, and cancer risk. So the objective was to investigate whether high blood sugar is associated with increased cancer rate. Okay then, here's a conclusion. The association of hyperglycemia with total cancer risk in women and in women and men combined for several cancer sites, independent of obesity, provides further evidence for an association between abnormal glucose metabolism and cancer. Basically, they confirmed that. And uh, that was Swedish. So that was a Swedish study. 
and uh, one in 2002 is Finnish. So we are outside the U.S. for the time being. It's interesting. We can guess that this is probably because of insulin and then things in insulin kicks off, which is insulin-like growth factor. Um, you know, I want to tell you about the growth factor aspect. I mean, insulin is thought about bad, bad, bad. That's what we all come away with, bad, bad, bad. You know, we don't want insulin. Well, you need insulin to keep your blood sugar level. And insulin does a lot of other factors. In fact, it's, it is considered by itself a growth hormone, and it creates another hormone called insulin-like growth factor, which is a substitute or a can't think of the word right now, for growth hormone. And in terms of bodybuilding, people actually take insulin, as in shots we're talking, take insulin as in shots for the growth factor aspect of insulin. It's crazy. I mean, they're not concerned with anything else. It's obviously probably kids in their late teens all the way up through the 30s. So it's kind of a natural drug, if you will. You know, people aren't going to, It's. It, I don't think they get caught. So it's not steroids or anything else, but they can take more insulin. So they take more insulin and they get more muscle growth. That's what IGF does. That's what growth hormone does. So that's how popular insulin actually is. So it's not something that when we just go say it's bad, bad, bad. Well, in that context of being a bodybuilder, it's good, good, good. And also they have things like uh, whey protein. Whey protein is very insulinogenic. That is, it kicks up your insulin, but oddly it does not kick up your glucose. It's a protein, and I think you're all familiar with that. It's a quote-unquote waste product from cheese making. That's where whey is. So if it wasn't for cheese making, uh, you'd have no whey. Okay, so here's another one. Here's a serum glucose and risk of cancer uh, meta-analysis. In other words, they put all these studies together and said, okay, what do we find? And this is from many different places since they're putting all these studies together. So it says, raised serum glucose has been linked to increased risk of many solid cancers. We performed a meta-analysis to quantify and summarize the evidence for this link. So it really gets down to type of cancer and what's the risk. I'm not going to get there with you for that. For those that are interested, I'll put the link, but um, it's a bit arcane a bit tedious. Anyways, here's the conclusion. A positive association between serum glucose and the risk of cancer was found. The underlying biological mechanism remained to be elucidated, but our subgroup analyses suggest that insulin, IGF, does not fully explain the association, meaning there's other things in addition to that that are causing or setting the context, creating the likelihood of having a cancer. These findings are of public health importance which is the point of this whole podcast, as measured to reduce serum glucose via lifestyle and dietary changes could be implemented in the context of cancer mortality. So do the things that bring down and level your blood sugar at a low level and keep it that way and learn how to have fun doing that and you are good. And that's kind of the point here. So we're calling all that ketosis, a degree of ketosis, nutritional ketosis, and you can get there however formally or informally you want to do that. You can drop the carbs, you can track everything, but you got the objective and how you get there is pretty much up to you. We've talked about that before. Okay. You'll find that some of these themes get repeated. And in studies, things have to get repeated many, many, many times to become generally accepted. So the first study that says something like this really has doesn't go anywhere until it's supported 
And if it's supported a number of times, then it comes out as being a groundbreaking study, kind of after the fact, a little bit anticlimactic. So the risk for pancreatic cancer rises with fasting glucose, regardless of diabetes studies. Now you notice all of these have been saying, uh, regardless of obesity, this one is the first saying, regardless of diabetes. So it's just saying, it is blood sugar, baby. Going up in fasting glucose levels is a problem. You need to understand what yours is. You need to take it. You need to track it. You need to be familiar with that. And then you need to create some lifestyle choices to intervene and change all that, which is easy to do. That was 2019. Okay, back we are to China and another study, uh, 2020, just came out uh, this last January. The association between fasting blood glucose trajectory and cancer risk in Chinese population without diabetes. We know that diabetes has a problem long ago, back in the 1990s and early 2000s, I would give a lot of talks. And it seems like nearly every talk, whether it was about menopause or arthritis or sleep difficulties or whatever it is that I was talking about trying to, uh, that's how you build your practice, by the way, that I would show diabetes and its associated cancers. And it was a long list. I sort of say, hey, this is, you know, you need to know this. Well, now this has pulled out these last two studies that I've referenced. They've pulled out the diabetes and said, it's blood sugar, baby. Follow and track your blood sugar. So let's see if we can come to an understandable conclusion. Bottom line in the end is our study observed that fasting blood sugar trajectories were associated with cancer risk among participants without diabetes and a BMI, meaning their basal metabolic index, really how large they are, may modify, the BMI may slightly modify the, uh, the results, but pretty much the same outcome. I know. Why can't they just write English? I don't know. So that's as far as I'm going to go with reading you study after study, because I want to nail together this bigger picture and tell you that it's pretty much co- not quite common knowledge now. This is the first time you're hearing it. Obviously, it's not common knowledge to you, and I don't want to make you feel bad that you didn't know it, but I'm showing here's a reality out here that is easy to understand. It's not hyper-sophisticated. You don't need great technology to explore this, to understand it, to define it, but go find out whether you're going to go to your doctor to get your fasting glucose levels, and I add the insulin, by the way, and to do this over a number of times, or you can do it on your own. That's very easy to do. We do Ulta Labs is what we use, but there's other labs that you can pay out of cash for. But these are the two cheapest tests that you could possibly get done. Fasting glucose, well, it's just glucose and insulin. You're going to make them fasting, and fasting means 12 hours of not eating. You can have water. That's the summary. I want to make it short and sweet, a little piece of something that you got it. So no longer is it just diabetes associated with cancer. No longer is it, oh, wait a minute, this, we have an obesity epidemic. Let's talk about obesity. No, we pulled these out. We know they're related, but we pulled these out and said, it's blood sugar. Know your fasting blood sugars and know your random blood sugars as well. Okay. So I'm going to end there and off to the next one. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview, 
or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. Stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.